Hello, and welcome to this pay-per-view segment. The subject for this episode is subliminal mind control. Now, I've talked about mind control before, individual mind control, which goes under the name of MK Ultra. What I'm going to talk about in this segment is, again, individual mind control, but in a very different way. This is mind control from afar using technology and electromagnetic communication. And, you know, if you think you've seen it all with COVID vaccine coercion, think again. They've gone beyond carrot and stick, free rewards to encourage vaccine uptake and consequences in the form of restrictions for not taking the vaccine and vaccine passports. I'm going to talk in this segment of a method they are employing on certain people which can actually make someone staunchly against taking the vaccine go and take it. Wait for this. They are actually now implanting messages into people's heads. That's right. You know, I wouldn't believe this myself if it didn't come from some very credible sources who have reported this and reported people telling them of their own experience of what is basically subliminal mind control. One of those sources is a guy called Jeff Rents, who has been researching many subjects for decades now. One of them is technological mind control. And so when it happened to him, he said it happened three times to him, he was able to recognize straight away that it was not coming from him. It was not his own thoughts, but people who in the general population who don't know what he's been researching all this time, they can think it is their own thoughts. The good news is when people get these messages, there is a trademark, if you like, of these messages. And that is people say they experience, along with the message, a feeling of joy, euphoria, relief, that kind of thing. And so if you get a an idea out of nowhere to get this vaccine with thoughts like maybe I should take the vaccine or it won't be that bad will it really or nah it'd probably be all right maybe I should take it and you get this feeling of joy euphoria etc then that's a clue that it's one of these messages and not your own thoughts and I'm writing a new book at the moment And one of the things I talk about in the book is how people think and perception and how programming actually works in the brain, how it's done. And without going into all the detail now, basically can get to a point where your perception or response is automatic. You think it's your own thought but it's actually predetermined and it's all to do with the way the brain processes information. And this technology has been around for decades now and is very well advanced. And when you look at how television works and how radio works, it's information broadcast in waveform and decoded back into words and pictures by technology. And that's basically the process I'm talking about information broadcast in an electromagnetic form, in a waveform, and then decoded by the brain, the mind, into thoughts and perception. And it's targeting the subconscious mind, which then and, filters you know, through to the conscious mind as one of the a things thought people which people think have to is their own knowledge. It's actually been is the fact that there implanted. is a global agenda and a global cult behind it. And this is the agenda that I've been talking about in this podcast since 
February 2018 when it started and which I've spent half my life now uncovering and communicating and that's why I wrote pay-per-view in print available at pay-per-view.uk the book to go along with this podcast pay-per-view in which I lay out the agenda because what would transform people's understanding of the world overnight and what would make the world so incredibly simple and easy to understand is the fact that there's an agenda what it is and the structure necessary to implement it and those behind it which is what I talk about in in that book and I've talked about in this podcast over the years so when people acknowledge that then society instantly makes sense and so many questions of why are they doing this why do they do that it'd be much better if they did it this way that doesn't make any sense instantly are clear and easy to understand and um, I've come across these two articles but there is scientific literature out there for people who want to look at that it talks about technological mind control so I'll start with this one in the Guardian from 2006 called we are moving ever closer to the era of mind control and it's written by Stephen Rose who is professor of biology at the Open University and this is an edited extract it says from better humans the politics of human enhancement and life extension a collection of essays to be published by demos in the Wellcome Trust on Wednesday now the Wellcome Trust is connected to Bill Gates, who is massively, fundamentally, globally central to this pandemic hoax. So this is what it says. Brain scientists are on a roll. Concern about rising levels of mental distress have resulted in unprecedented levels of funding in the US and Europe. And a range of new technologies, from genetics to brain imaging, are offering extraordinary insights into the molecular and cellular processes underlying how we see, how we remember, why we become emotional. Brain imaging has become familiar. Scanners, known by their initials, CAT, PET, MRI, began as clinical tools enabling surgeons to identify potential tumours then damage following a stroke or the diagnostic signs of incipient dementia. But neuroscientists quickly seized on their wider potential. The images of regions of the brain lighting up when a person is thinking of their lover imagining travelling from home to the shops or solving a mathematical problem have captured the imagination of researchers and public alike. What if they could do more? Recently, I published, this is Stephen Rose saying this, I published the results of an experiment in which we looked at the regions of the brain that became active when people chose between competing products in supermarkets. Major companies ranging from Coca-Cola to BMW are starting to image the brains of potential customers to study how they respond to new designs or brands. They are beginning to speak of neuromarketing and neuroeconomics. Such trends may be relatively innocuous, but the increasing state interest in what the images might reveal is less so. Specifically, what if brain imaging can predict future behaviour or indicate guilt or innocence of a crime? There are claims, for example, that it could reveal potential psychopathy, that the brains of men convicted of brutal murder show significantly abnormal patterns. In the current legislative climate, where there have been attempts to introduce preemptive detention for psychopaths, who have not yet been convicted of any crime, such claims need to be addressed critically. They are and will be resisted by the judiciary, but recent developments suggest that this may be a frail defence against an increasingly authoritarian state. 
more seriously, there is increasing military interest in the development of techniques that can survey and possibly manipulate the mental processes of potential enemies or enhance the potential of one's own troops. There is nothing new about such an interest. In the US, it stretches back at least half a century. Impressed by claims that the Soviet Union was developing psychological warfare, the CIA and DARPA began their own programs. Early experiments included the clandestine feeding of LSD to their own operatives and attempts at brainwashing. These were the forerunners of the hoods and white noise used by the British in Northern Ireland until dressed illegal and more recently in Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo inhabit an uncertain borderline between what the US government regards as an acceptable level of violence and the torture that it denies committing. By the 1960s, DARPA, along with the US Navy, was funding almost all US research into artificial intelligence in order to develop methods and technologies for the automated battlefield and the intelligent soldier. Contracts were let and patents taken out on techniques aimed at recording signals from the brains of enemy personnel at a distance in order to read their minds. These efforts are burgeoned in the aftermath of the so-called War on Terror. One US company claims to have developed a technique called brain fingerprinting, which can determine the truth regarding a crime, terrorist activities, or terrorist training by detecting information stored in the brain. The stress of lying under interrogation is supposed to result in a specific waveform which electrodes measuring the brain's fluctuating electrical signals can detect. We may be skeptical about the validity of such methods, but they indicate the direction in which research is heading. The company claims that procedures have been accepted in evidence in court in America. The step beyond reading thoughts is to attempt to control them directly. A new technique, transcranial magnetic stimulation, has begun to generate interest. This focuses an intense magnetic field on specific brain regions and has been shown to affect thoughts, perceptions and behaviour. There are suggestions that can be used to control OCD, while some even take seriously the scenario envisaged in the film Return or Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, in which TMS was used to erase unwanted memories of a love affair gone wrong. Currently only possible if a subject's head is put inside the relevant machine, TMS at a distance is now under active military investigation. And if it's under investigation in the public arena, that means it already exists. And this is 2006. So is chip technology, which might provide implanted prostheses to overcome sensory deficits or control behaviour, and whose potential bioethics committees around Europe have been scrutinising. It is tempting to dismiss all these as technological fantasies and their proponents as sellers of snake oil. But the fact that a technology is faulty does not mean it won't be used. One only has to think of the tens of thousands of lobotomies carried out on schizophrenic patients in the past century. Britain is one of the world's leading examples of a surveillance society, observing its citizens through CCTV cameras and controlling their behaviour without suppose and rittling. The potential for surveillance of citizens' thoughts has moved far beyond the visions of 1984. Science cannot happen without major public or private expenditure, but its goals are set at least as much by the market and the military as by their disinterested pursuit of knowledge. This is why neuroscientists have a responsibility to make their subjects and its potentials as transparent as possible and why the voices of concerned citizens should be heard not downstream when the technologies are already fully formed but upstream while the science is still in progress. We have to find ways of ensuring that such voices are listened through the cacophony of slogans about better brains and the power of the military in the market. And there's another article here on Wired.com from 2007. The weird Russian mind control research behind a DHS contract. A dungeon-like room in the Psychotechnology Research Institute in America is used for human testing. The institute claims its technology can read the subconscious mind and alter behaviour. 
The future of US anti-terrorism technology could lie near the end of a Moscow subway line in a circular dungeon-like room with a single door and no windows. Here at the Psychotechnology Research Institute, human subjects submit to experiments aimed at manipulating their subconscious minds. Elena Rusalkina, the silver-haired woman who runs the institute, gestured to the centre of the claustrophobic roomway, where what looked like a dentist chair sits in front of a glowing computer monitor. We've had volunteers, a lot of them, she said, thick concrete walls muffling the noise in the college campus outside. We worked out a programme with a psychiatric facility to study criminals. There's no way to falsify the results. There's no subjectivism. The article continues. The Department of Homeland Security has gone to many strange places in its search for ways to identify terrorists before they attack, but perhaps none stranger than this lab on the outskirts of Russia's capital. The Institute has for years served as the centre of an obscure field of human behaviour study, dubbed psychoecology, that traces its roots back to Soviet-era mind controls. What's gotten in DHS's attention is the Institute's work on a system called Semantic Stimuli Response Measurements Technology, a software-based mind reader that supposedly tests a subject's involuntary response to subliminal messages. SSRM Tech is presented to a subject as an innocent computer game that flashes subliminal images across the screen like pictures of Osama Bin Laden or the World Trade Center. The player, a traveller at an airport screening line, for example, presses a button in response to the images without consciously registering what he or she is looking at. The terrorist's response to the scrambled image involuntarily differs, involuntarily differs from the innocent person's according to the theory. Gear for testing MindReader 2.0 software hangs on a wall the Psychotechnology Research Institute in Moscow. Marketed in North America as SSRM Tech, the technology will soon be tested for airport screening by a US company under contract to the Department of Homeland Security. If it's a clean result, the passengers are allowed through, said Rosalkina during a reporter's visit last year. If there's something there, that person will need to go through extra checks. See, all this stuff about terrorists is just an excuse to do what the agenda wants to do. Russell Keenan markets the technology as a program called MindReader 2.0 to sell MindReader to the West. He's teamed up with a Canadian firm which is now working with a US defence contractor called SRS Technologies. This May, DHS announced plans to award a sole source contract to conduct the first US government-sponsored testing of SSRM tech. The contract is a small victory for the Psychotechnology Research Institute and its leaders who have struggled for years to be accepted in the West. It also illustrates how the search for counter-terrorism technologies led the US government into unconventional, and some would say unsound science. All of the technology of the Institute is based on the work of Russell Keener's late husband, Igor Smirnov, a controversial Russian scientist whose incredible tales of mind control attracted frequent press attention before his death several years ago. Smirnov was a Rasputin-like character often portrayed in the media as having almost mystical powers of persuasion. Today, first-time visitors to the Institute, housed in a drab concrete building at the People's Friendship University of Russia, are asked to watch a half-hour television program dedicated to Smirnov, who is called the father of psychotronic weapons, the Russian term for mind-control weapons. Bearded and confident, Smirnov in the video explains how subliminal sounds could alter a person's behaviour. To the untrained ear, the demonstration sounds like squealing pigs. Alina Russell Keenan demonstrates the terrorist screening tool. She says it works faster than a polygraph that can be used at airports. According to Russell Keenan, the Soviet military enlisted Smirnov psychotechnology during the Soviet Union's bloody war in Afghanistan in the 1980s. It was used for combating the Mujahideen and also for treating post-traumatic stress syndrome in Russian soldiers, she says. In the United States, talk of mind control typically evokes visions of tinfoil hats, but the idea 
psychotronic weapons enjoy some respectability in Russia. In the late 1990s, Vladimir Lapatin, then a member of the Duma, Russia's parliament, pushed to restrict mind control weapons, a move that was taken seriously in Russia but elicited some curious mentions in the Western press. In an interview in Moscow, Lapatin, who has since left the Duma, called Smirnov, cited Smirnov's work as proof that such weaponry is real. It's financed and used not only by the medical community, but also by individual and criminal groups. The Patin said terrorists might also get hold of such weapons. Terrorists might also get hold of such weapons, he added. After the fall of the Soviet Union, Smirnov moved from military research into treating patients with mental problems and drug addiction, setting up shop at the college. Most of the lab's research is focused on what it calls psychocorrection, the use of subliminal messages to bend the subjects to bend a subject's will and even modify a person's personality without their knowledge. The slow migration of Smirnov's technology into the United States began in 1991 at a KGB-sponsored conference in Moscow intended to market once secret Soviet technology to the world. Smirnov's claims of mind control piqued the interest of Chris and Janet Morris, former science fiction writers and Pentagon consultants, who are now widely credited as founders of the Pentagon's non-lethal weapons concept. A lot of these TV and film writers are in the know about the agenda and technology and possibility and they put it in films and television to show us what's planned or what's happening so that if there's no response to it then the cult think that that gives them permission to do it and there are other ways that they they do this as well it's called revelation of the method they put in front of you what is actually going on and it's planned Another reason is what's known as predictive programming or preemptive programming, where the brain downloads so much imagery relating to a certain concept so that when it happens, it feels more familiar and there's less resistance. The article continues. In an interview last year, 2006, Chris Morris recall being intrigued by Smirnov, so much so that he accompanied the researcher to his lab and allowed Smirnov to wire his head up to an electroencephalograph, or EEG. Normally used by scientists to measure brain states, Smirnov peered into Morris's EEG tracings and divined the secrets of his subconscious, right down to intimate details like Morris's dislike of his own first name. The underlying premise of the technology is that terrorists would recognize a scrambled terrorist image like this one without even realizing it and would be betrayed by their subconscious reaction to the picture. I said, gee, the guys back home have got to see this, Morris recalled. The Morrises shopped the technology around to a few military agencies but found no one willing to put money into it. However, in 1993, Smirnov rose to brief fame in the United States when the FBI consulted with him in hope of ending the standoff in Waco with cult leader David Koresh. Smirnov proposed blasting scrambled sound to the pig's squeals, the pig squeals again, over loudspeakers to persuade Koresh to surrender, but the FBI was put off by Smirnov's cavalier response to questions. When officials asked what would happen if the subliminal signals did not work, Smirnov replied that Koresh's followers might slit each other's throats. Morris recounted, the FBI took a pass and Smirnov returned to Moscow with his mind-controlled technology. With Smirnov, the FBI was either demanding yes or a no, and therefore our methods were not put to use, unfortunately, for Salkina's sake. Igor Smirnov, founder of the Psychotechnology Research Institute, died of a heart attack in 2005. Smirnov is best known in the United States for consulting with the FBI during the 1993 Waco siege.
Smirnov died in November 2004, leaving the widowed Russell Keener, his longtime collaborator, to run the Institute. Portraits of Smirnov cover Russell Keener's desk and his former offices like a shrine. The wars line with his once secret patents is awards from the Soviet government and a calendar from the KGB's cryptographic section. Despite Smirnov's death, Russell Keener predicts an arms race and psychotronic weapons. Such weapons, she asserts, are far more dangerous than nuclear weapons. She pointed, for example, to a spate of Russian news reports about zombies, innocent people whose memories have been allegedly wiped out by mind control weapons. She also claimed that Russian special forces contacted the Institute during the 2003 Moscow theatre siege, in which several hundred people were held hostage by Chechen militants. We could have stabilised the situation in the concert hall, and the terrorists would have called the whole thing off, she said. Naturally, you could have avoided all the casualties, and you could have put the terrorists on trial. But the Alpha Group, the Russian equivalent of Delta Force, decided to go with an old method that had already been tested before. The Russians used a narcotic gas to subdue the attackers and their captors, which led to the asphyxiation death of many of the hostages. These days, Russell Keener explained the Institute uses its psychotechnology to treat alcoholics and drug addicts. During the interview, several patients, gaunt young men who appeared wasted from illness, waited in the hallway. But the US war on terror and the millions of dollars set aside for Homeland Security research is offering Smirnov a chance of posthumous respectability in the West. Smirnov's technology reappeared on the US government's radar screen through Northam Psychotechnology is a Canadian company that serves as North American distributor for the Psychotechnology Research Institute. About three years ago, 2004, Northam Psychotechnologies began seeking out US partners to help it crack the DHS market. For companies claiming innovative technologies, the past few years have provided bountiful opportunities. In fiscal year 2007, DHS allocated $973 million for science and technology and recently announced Project Hostile Intent, which is designed to develop technology to detect people with malicious intentions. One California-based defense contractor, Downrange G2 Solutions, expressed interest in SSRM tech, but became skeptical when Northern Psychotechnologies declined to make the software available for testing. That raised our suspicion right away, Scott Conn, CEO and President of Downrange, told Wired News. We were not prepared to put our good names on the line without due diligence. When a reporter visited last year, Russell Kinder also declined to demonstrate the software, saying it was not working that day. While Conn said the lack of testing bothered him, the relationship ended when he found out Northam, Northam Psychotechnologies went to SRS Technologies, now part of Mantech International Corporation. Semyon Iofi, the head of Northern Psychotechnologies, who identifies himself as a brain scientist, declined the phone interview but answered questions over email. Iofi said he signed a non-disclosure agreement with Conant and had a few informal discussions after which he disappeared to a different assignment and reappeared after the DHS announcement. As for the science, Iofi says he has a PhD in neurophysiology, consulted Smirnov Russian language, and cited Smirnov's Russian language publications as the basis for SSRM tech. However, not everyone is as impressed with Smirnov's technology, including John Alexander, a well-known expert on non-lethal weapons. Alexander was familiar with Smirnov's meetings in Washington during the Waco crisis and said in an interview in 2006 that there were serious doubts then as now. It was the height of the Waco problem. They were grasping at straws, he said, of the FBI's fleeting interest. From what I understand from people who were there, it did not work very well. So that gives you an idea of the possibility, but like I said, that's only a glimpse and the real technology capability is light years ahead and the vaccine itself will have nanotechnology in which is all part of creating this wireless technological sub-reality known as the 
smart grid or the cloud to which human minds are designed to be attached and controlled by artificial intelligence. This is what the tech heads of and talking heads of Silicon Valley are talking about, especially people like Ray Kurzweil at Google, who's written best-selling books on this subject, and people like Elon Musk, who are putting up satellites to fire Wi-Fi and 5G at the Earth. And 5G is the minimum power needed to make this smart grid work. And I talk about 5G in episode 70. And I talk about how the COVID vaccine is actually all part of this agenda in episode 78. So we really do need to question everything. And never more so than now in human history, really. And we need to question everything while we still can.